Well, we are in Ephesians, as you know, and we are getting closer to the end. But when I do a half a verse like I am today, it's not as close as we thought. So, but uh, it's all a part of the plan. But we come now to Ephesians 6, to part three of spiritual warfare. So we know that our enemies are the world and the system of that world where it is working better than it's ever worked before, demonically so. And this is exactly what the Bible says would be happening. That way, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, all of the world's governments are, are set up for him just to step in and there be a vacuum for him immediately to become the leader of the world. Have you noticed all the governments of the world, just even many democratic countries like ourselves, are setting up, the spirit of this world is setting up to accept this one leader who will unify us all, like they did at the Tower of Babel, and of course, eventually in that tribulation period, he will proclaim himself to be God and set upon the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple in Israel. And all that's coming together, by the way, too. Uh, they're working hard right now, some uh, Orthodox Jews, to get a portion of that Temple Mount area. And uh, I think we're going to see that. It says in, that there's a wall that separates the holy from the profane. So it's interesting. We are there. The other thing we fight is the flesh, and the devil knows that. He is constantly, you know, I, I think of the, um, the guy who's like putting down rocks in the river, and he takes a step, and people behind him are stepping on those stepping stones. I think the devil does that a lot. He just sets up these nice stones for us to go after our flesh. He's no dummy. He's been around for thousands of years. He's seen many of you 100,000 times over. You even look like the people from 6,000 years ago. And your personality, he, he knows how to attack your flesh. And then the devil himself, like we see what he did with Jesus, just demonically, it's no, nothing hiding. It's him. It's obviously just right from the pit of hell to discourage you and to cause you to doubt. I mean, that's what the devil did to Eve. We're going to be talking about it this Wednesday night, a matter of fact, in Genesis 3. But get her to doubt the truthfulness of God, get her to doubt the real kindness of God, or doubt that God has some motive that you've got to out-trick God because he's going to oppress you if you don't out-trick him. Same thing with Jesus. You wouldn't think that Satan would have that kind of gall. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, to get Jesus. Literally, Satan said, bow down and worship me. I think that's maybe something he had said before in heaven, before the big battle maybe. But now it's not, I want to be equal. Remember Isaiah 14, I want to be equal with God. Well, now he full on says, no, no, I didn't ever want to be equal with you, God. I wanted to be above you. Bow down and worship me, Jesus. Demonic. You guys seen anything demonic lately? I'll let that set. So we looked so far in verse 10 through 14, we talked about how we need to stand, be strong in the Lord. And, and in particular, we, we begin to be dressed as a soldier. Now, there's a lot of people 
that want to be civilian Christians. I want to be a Christian, but a civilian. I'll let other people be the warriors. It doesn't work that way. To be a Christian is to be enlisted in the army. (laughs) There is no civilian Christians. I guess a civilian Christian would be somebody who goes to church and really isn't saved. Maybe. I don't know what a civilian Christian, but every Christian is, is demanded by Jesus to deny yourself, take up a cross and fall and follow him. Well, I, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be one of those Christians that have to take up a cross and deny themselves. There, there is no option like that. There's people that have created a Christianity in their own minds, thinking God's accepting it, but he's not. No, every Christian is going to experience spiritual attack. So every Christian needs to be in the battle, whether they want to or not. The battle, the front lines of the battle is being brought to you. And so the first thing is the waste of truth, the logos, God's word. That's what Jesus did, right? Just quoted a verse to Satan each time. Of course, Satan quoted verses to him in a twisted manner. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. I love that. What would the breastplate be? Righteousness. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. We talked about that. And then we looked in verse 15 and 16. The gospel of of peace is our shoes. I wouldn't have thought of that. Our shoes are going out upon the mountains. How lovely are the feet of those who spread the good news. And then... He talks about a shield, the big giant door. It's actually the, the word they used, the big shield. They would link them all together. And he says, that's faith. So the fiery darts hit and they splatter with the tar, but it stays on the shields and doesn't get over upon the people. And now today, in verse 17, we're going to take a look at the helmet now, what would the helmet be? We got the truth, we got righteousness, we are feet or the gospel, the, faith, the shield is faith. What would be the helmet? He tells us salvation. And once again, I'm surprised. You know, I, I maybe would have thought it would have been the breastplate of salvation, but it's not. It's the helmet of salvation. And so what is this helmet? It was a This Roman helmet that Paul would have been observing was a big leather cap, goes down along the cheeks, and then it has plates of bronze and metal upon it, very heavy, very hot, not something you really want to wear around, but when you're in the middle of battle, boy, you need to have that. Because when you really think about it, the headshot is the best shot if you're a warrior, right? I mean, if you can hit somebody in the head, you're like, all right. You know, this is good. I, you know, stab him in the leg or something, it's not over. But if you get a clean headshot, it's over, right? They may not be dead, but they'll be knocked out even with a helmet on. So, boy, Satan loves the headshots. He loves to get that in. And what is that? Because we know the brain, the mind, the head, everything flows from that, right? If there's something wrong with the brain, then the hand won't work right and the feet won't work right and, and it may even affect your breathing. And, and boy, the, the head's really susceptible to messing up the whole rest of the body. Jonathan Edwards said, the ideas and images in men's brains or in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. 
So what's going on in the mind is of essential importance because it's going to affect everything we see on the outside. A matter of fact, pretty much everything we see on the outside first started in the brain, didn't it? Pretty much. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 6, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly, but are mighty in God, pulling down strongholds. The real weapons we have are spiritual and ripping down strongholds in the mind, you see. Satan is trying to saturate us with thoughts and ideas, whether it's of, of the world's concepts or the world's music or the world's ideas. And, and we've seen it now that, that Satan, over a period of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we've seen this now in the universities, right? Planning these crazy, illogical ideas. This critical race theory and stuff like that. It's completely illogical. It's evil. But yet these kids that have been brainwashed in this probably started back in kindergarten. We know that's what their plans are for the future. So they can get a hold of the brain. So then they give them a diploma and the pride fills the heart and now their brain unleashes the most ludicrous, illogical, evil, stupid stuff. And you're going, how can anybody who just takes one minute to think about this believe in it? Well, they didn't take one minute. Satan spent their entire life preparing them to think these outrageous, crazy thoughts in their adulthood. And so with us, Maybe we're not so susceptible as those who don't know Christ. But believe me, we are being affected. And this is where we need to understand. We've got to cast down. It goes on in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down the arguments, these imaginations, these thoughts that Satan is getting as a stronghold in our brain. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that's contradictory to the Bible. The world keeps telling you, you guys are contradictive to the Bible. It keeps telling that. Hey, have you noticed those Christians don't agree with us? Matter of fact, at this last, not the world one they went to, but there was a big environmental, the biggest one every year that people go to on, on uh, the earth heating up and, and so forth, climate change. The theme, almost every speaker that spoke said this. The number one offenders on earth against climate change are those who believe in a heaven. Especially the Christians because they're pooping all over the planet because they got heaven. They got a new earth. They don't, they don't care if they destroy this earth. Couldn't be more of a lie. We're, we're, God told us to be gardeners, to be caretakers of this earth. But it was amazing. That was the constant theme that went through it. And so we have, in the same way, thoughts trying to put into our head against the truth, the knowledge, the actual reality that God has made this world in. And now we need to fight to bring every thought into captivity, captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then once we got that, we realized that's a lie, fill it with truth, just like Satan 
when, when Jesus was with Satan, he just kept coming back with scripture, scripture, scripture. We were replacing these lies that the devil's trying to get in our mind, and we bump them out with truth of God's word. Being ready to punish all disobedience when obedience is fulfilled. To not just say, oh, live and let live. You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. Let's all be at peace. No. That then those thoughts ever try to get back in our mind again. We know what they are and we rebuke them. We cast them out. We don't allow that lie to stay in our head. So fight in the brain first And then afterwards, we'll see what comes on the outside. It starts on the inside. And this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to plant these ideas of sin. And then step two, step three, step four, step five, until you do it. And how does he do this? He starts with worry and anxiety and fears and doubts and discouragement He's, he's trying to get you off balance with these thoughts in your head. You, you, you know, you are a sinner. You may not even be a Christian. You're not, God doesn't love you. I mean, isn't that in essence what he said to Eve? God doesn't really love you. God isn't really being honest with you. God's word is defective because you eat of that fruit. You're not going to die. I can't believe he even said that. God's such a liar. And here we see that Satan's bringing these thoughts, causing us to worry. What's the thing? Salvation is that issue. We've got to keep that helmet on and not let the discouraging, hopeless thoughts attacking our eternal salvation affect us because it, it it's all, makes all the difference, right? If we, if we have a plane that we're taking off and going to Hawaii and... Uh, The pilot says, no, I don't put in the coordinates. I'm just going to wing it. I've been to Hawaii dozens of times. I'm going to get there. Do you think it's going to happen? Now, what happens if his instrumentation here in L.A. is off just a tiny bit? One little tiny bit, the instruments are wrong. Where are they going to end up? They're going to end up out in the middle of the Pacific. Because Hawaii is just a tiny little dot out in this vast ocean, isn't it? To get there, you've got to start perfect to crash, in there, not crash, but to land there. <laughs> forgive me there. To land there, you, you've got to be very specific. And so in the, in the same way, we have to have our aim, that dot, the same in order to stay on track all along the way. And so we've been covering this so much in the book of Ephesians, how our salvation is secure by simply believing in Christ. Two things happen. We will not perish, and we will have everlasting life. Why? Because we believe in Jesus John 3.16, Jesus emphatically says, those who believe in him shall not perish. Why? Because God loves you and he sent his son as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world and you happen to be a part of the world. You're a human being in this world. That includes you. God loves you. Ephesians 2.8, again, 
by grace and having faith in the grace, the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness, the cross of Christ bearing our sins, by faith in that, we are saved as a gift of God. How do you receive a gift? By handing people money? Oh, thanks for the gift. Let me pay you back. Right? Unless you just receive it humbly. Have you ever had somebody give you a gift that was a whole lot more than you think they should give you? It's sort of odd. It's sort of a weird feeling. I thought they were going to give me a $10 gift, and, and now I open it up, and I realize this thing costs a couple hundred dollars. And what do you do? You're really humbled by that. Wow, this guy really thinks much more highly of me than I thought he thought. It actually takes faith to just not feel weird about receiving that expensive gift, doesn't it? Well, you got to be humble and understand that you are a sinner and you can't save yourself. You need a savior. And it's just by having faith and doing it all. So it is not by your works. Salvation is not by your goodness. It's not by anything you do. And it's not by works of righteousness you have done or ever will do. Titus 3, 5 through 7 is emphatic on this. Salvation comes again, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have, what? Done. But according to his mercies, he has saved us. Through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And having been justified by his grace, we shall become heirs according to the hope. The word hope is the certainty of eternal life. You don't do good works to be a Christian. You don't live the Christian life to be a Christian. You don't become a disciple to be a Christian. You trust in Jesus Christ and his grace, his cross, his love, his death, his resurrection. Do you notice how I'm saying all about him? And I'm not putting you in there at all. It's his love, not your love. It's his obedience. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. He obediently obeyed the Father and went to the cross. For the love set before him, he endured the cross. It was his perfect life, not your perfect life. It was his body, not your body. It was his death, not your death. It was his resurrection, not your resurrection. It's Christ believing in him alone. Salvation comes. Romans 4, 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Listen to that verse 5 again. Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him. Sorry, to, did you get some um, notes? Did you know we had notes? If you don't have notes, raise your hand. Hey, Ray, grab some notes over here. I don't, I, I, do you have notes, Ben? I just want to make sure everybody has notes if you didn't get them. We have notes online too, if you're watching online. I see some of you guys looking at me, and maybe you don't have notes. If you don't have Ben right here, it doesn't have notes. There we go. I think everybody else knows if you've been here. Sorry, don't mean to embarrass anybody, but these verses are so great. I want you to know which ones I'm talking about because I don't take time to 
turn to the Bible and stuff so it goes much faster. I only teach an hour and a half that way rather than two hours. <laughs> but in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, to him who does not work, to him who does not work, but believes or only believes on him, who justifies who? The ungodly. Are you ungodly? Are you a sinner? Yes, then this is for you. His faith is accounted for righteousness. There's your part. You have faith alone, and God gives you as a gift his righteousness. In Romans 4, 6, just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, how? Apart from works. This is Christianity. It's not like any religion in the world. People say, how do you know which one's the right religion? All other religions are telling you, strive to reach God. Strive to please God. Strive to be a holy person. And, and if you come short of it, man, boy, it's going to be bad news for you. You need to start striving right now. And don't, start, don't stop striving until you die or you may not make it. And once we get to heaven, God will let you know whether or not you're striving to be holy and righteous and to live the way God wants you to live and do what God, then he'll, he'll add up the points and see if you pass. That's all religions of the world. Why am I going to church? I don't want to be blackballed. Why are you reading the Bible? Because God wants me to and I don't want to tick him off. And then when we start struggling, and we all do, then we're like, I shouldn't pray. I'm not worthy to pray. I shouldn't go to church. Everybody there is so holy and I'm so unholy. They might see it and that would be embarrassing. No, it's just a demonic idea of Satan. It's a knowledge that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. You guys like that one? Let's say that together there. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. Do we, do we understand that? The thief on the cross, his hands were tied, his feet were tied, but yet he's in the same heaven as you and I, having sinned his entire life because salvation is a gift. It's not about what he did or does or will do in the future. Salvation is a gift of God. So salvation has the understanding, and this is for some of you guys. Um, we've talked about it here and there, but I hope to really help you understand today. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is not simply going to heaven. A matter of fact, probably right around 70% of the time, when you see the word salvation in the New Testament, it's not talking about being saved from our sins for eternal life. It's actually the word, and a lot of modern translations will actually translate it this way, to be healthy, to be protected, to, to um, be fruitful. And so Paul tells Timothy to preach the word and to be faithful living the Christian life so it will save you and your hearers. James says, share the gospel, and the guy who's stumbling and struggling and gets saved, you will 
as you lead him to the Christ, you save yourself also. Are, are those talking about, I got to share the Lord with somebody and lead him to Christ and then I get saved? No, he's saying though, this is healthy. This is the way it should be. And if you're living in a way where people are coming to Christ and you're being fruitful, you're living in a healthy place. You're in a strong healthy place. Timothy, if you teach faithfully the word and live the word yourself, you're going to have a healthy, strong, protected church. Not saved for eternal life, just saved from harm, saved from being unfruitful. So salvation, it's actually past, present, and future. Salvation, some of the verses are in salvations, we were saved. We just covered that. But when the Bible says in the New Testament we're saved for eternal life, it's saying salvation already happened, and then it's in the past continuous, it continues to happen. Past action with continuous results. So we were saved. This is justification. And this is what we just talked about. By grace, you have been saved by having faith in that grace through faith. And so it's a past action with a continuing result. But then there's a second part of this. We are saved. The work of salvation is presently happening, and it will, we call this sanctification. So what is this part of faith? In the midst of living in a sinful world, in a sinful body with the devil pounding and the demons trying to stumble us and trip us up, the Bible tells us that we're God's with us, and we're going to be saved. The righteous man falls seven times, but what? He gets up seven times because God's grace is sufficient. Where our sin abounds, his grace abounds more. So even though we're sinning, even though we're struggling, even though it's difficult, even though we're grieved sometimes, and God's spirits grieve sometimes, we know that as we continue to walk, walk with him, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. And so what's the attitude to have? I, I like Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what? Work out, not work for, not for. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The word fear, again, is probably better to translate respect. So, so have this since God is working in me. This isn't, this isn't a small thing. I mean, God comes to Moses. Moses, <laughs> I, I'm going to work in you. No, let my brother Aaron do it. Not me. I can't talk so well. It requires talking. Forget it. If it requires talking, I'm out. What did God teach Moses? Be in fear and trembling, right? You need to respect and honor God because God's working in you. Did Samson respect the work of God that he was doing in him? No, he did not. And I'm telling every one of you, you have people to share the Lord with. God will open the door, pray, Lord, I, I, I'm weak. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I want to be bold, but I am not bold. Lord, I want to obey you in that situation, but I find myself getting caught up in my lust of my flesh and I get angry again and again every time I get on the freeway at 4.30. Lord, help me. Because <laughs> God, you got a work to do, for me to do. You, you got fruit to be bore. And we're not worried about it. 
but we are passionate about it. And we are wanting more. Often that's just my prayer. God, I want more. I want more love. I want more power. I want more holiness. I want to be used by you more. Prune me, Father. I want to bear more fruit. It's just more. Remember the prayer of Jabez? He wanted more, didn't he? But he was a guy that he realized his flesh, just like my mom named me. I'm a guy that just seems to always sour. Every relationship sours and I end up hurting people. I try to bless somebody and and I go over to help them move and I break their vase with their grandmother's ashes in it. Ah, you know, God, help me. I'm trying, but I keep causing pain. And then he, he says, God, I want more. I want the tent pegs to be taken up and to have a bigger tent, a bigger sphere of influence. I just want to live every day sensing your hand upon me, blessing what I touch. You have also touched it through me. And God heeded his prayer. This is where we come back to realize without God, what? We can't. But without us, he won't. So this is our part in the midst of knowing I'm going to heaven, but I just love God so much. I want my flesh not to grieve him. I want to love you more. I want the thoughts of my mind not to grieve God, but I want more. It's a beautiful thing to work out your salvation and sanctification. So first justification It's been done, and it's continually going to be done. Sanctification, it's in the present. It's we are right now being saved, and it's salvation uh, is being worked out in us. And then the third thing is we will be saved. This is talking about the complete work. We're in our new bodies, in heaven, and guess what? No more presence of sin. The world system up there, everybody's Republican in heaven. Tea party members only. <laughs> the world system is, is God is governing it and, and we are all kings and priests with the Lord in a new heaven and a new earth and our bodies. There's no scent of Satan. There's no scent of fleshliness or rebellion. And there's My thoughts, I want to do the will of God. I am able to do the will of God. How a wonderful place glorification is. That's why when we read stuff like Romans 13, 11, Paul says, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's talking about glorification. The Lord's return is near. And if you read the verses around that Romans 13, he's talking about the coming of the Lord is near. So, the The first step of salvation is justification, past action, continuing results. The second is sanctification, and we're a part of that joyfully. It's a very short time, by the way. Have you ever been to a graveyard? The day they were born, a little slash, the day they die, that little slash is all the time you ever have to be a part of this process. We get to heaven, you're, you're really never going to have to deny yourself again because our body wants to please the Lord. 
In heaven, you're never going to fight sin again. In heaven, you're always going to show up on time to church. (laughs) In heaven, you don't share the Lord with people to get saved. In heaven, you can't wash feet because they don't get dirty. This is it. Sanctification should be a joyful thing because it's so short. We only have, you know, it's like an eight-year-old during summertime. (laughs) You know, we get out of school and then we're going back to school. What happened to the summer? That's our life, isn't it? Well, to understand this word salvation, I want to break it down a little further. The word salvation is, It saves us from the guilt and the penalty of sin. So Satan's coming in and hitting you in the head. Ah, the penalty of sin, it really isn't gone for you. The guilt of sin, you should feel horrible. And he's trying to discourage us. He's trying to dishearten us. He's trying to get us us to not trust the word of God. Did God really say? Did God really do that for you? I know know he did it for Kirk, but he's a righteous guy. That's why. It makes sense that, that God's taking him to heaven. I'm talking about me. So what's it say? Romans 3, 23, we come back at Satan. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Ah, Satan, you are correct about that. I am a sinner and, and, and I have fallen short of the glory of God. You accuser of the brethren, you evil one. That's true about me. But what's the second part of Romans 6, 23? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Guess what? The wages of sin is death, but God's gift, I've received it by faith. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for the righteousness by whose stripes we are what? Healed, past tense. Healed from what? Healed from the guilt of sin. From the condemnation of sin. From the penalty of sin. We know these verses well now, don't we? Second Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 10, 28, and I will give them eternal life, Jesus speaking, and they shall what? Never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. They're not gonna perish. And no matter what the devil tells you, well, I I wasn't gonna perish when I'm doing right, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing things that aren't right. I'm, I'm struggling with my flesh. I've got this bitterness issue and I can't let it go. I, I, I just am angry all the time and, and I don't think God's gonna take me to heaven with this bitterness, with this anger. Maybe it's lust or maybe it's uh, greed or there's so many sins, right? There's so many deadly sins out there. I, I think I was able to shake him loose and you know What? The little five-year-old wandering around, <laughs> he may think he's shaking loose, but guess what? The parents got him, right? Maybe you've got to be one of those parents that get a big dog leash on your kid. I think that's so humiliating. I, but uh, I never did that, but I understand why. God doesn't let us go. Hebrews ten fourteen. I love this. 
For, we, for by one offering, referring to the cross of Christ, he has perfected for how long? Forever. The moment you believe, you shall not perish. You shall have everlasting life. Now the second one, sanctification. I want to talk about this a little more. This now is referring to the power of sin. Boy, listen to Romans 8.1. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.20, and where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, does it matter who else is against us? Don't, sometimes our body is against us, isn't it? The things I don't want to do, I'm doing. The things I do want to do, I'm not doing. Ah, my body, man, it's, it's taken over. <laughs> it's against us. The world system sometimes is like, whoa, I like that part. Free, legalized marijuana, woo, yeah, baby. I like that. Oh, I, I have some Christian friends, some new ones. They all, you know, drink on Friday nights and until it says in the Psalms, you must drink until your heart is happy. Woohoo! I'm getting happy every Friday night with these guys. Yeah, I like, I like that. It's our flesh, others. But it tells us plainly here that Christ isn't condemning us. Romans 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies and has done that. Romans 8.34 to 35, who is he who condemns? He just told us in 8.1, there's no condemnation coming from Christ. It is Christ who died for them or is also risen, is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ is in heaven and he's got this one job. You know what that one job is? There to encourage us and pray for us. Remember what he said to Peter? Satan is after to sift you as wheat, but I, what? Prayed for you that your face shall not fail, but he's going to win the battle. After you've stumbled, get back up and strengthen your brethren. Christ is praying for us. Satan's trying to sift us as sweet, but he's never going to succeed. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Look at verse 37. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All things were more than conquerors because we're living a holy life finally. We're more than conquerors because we're now really going to church every Sunday. We're really gonna, we're more than conquerors because we're reading the Bible and we're praying and we're out witnessing and we're living the life. I'll tell you what, I feel like a conqueror when I'm doing those things. But the reason I'm doing all those things is by the power of God's spirit, isn't it? Because no good thing but as I abide in him, I'm able to bear good fruit. You see, some of you might be here today. You're at church, but your brain's not at church. Your heart's not at church. You, you didn't really want to sing songs, and you don't really want to hear the sermon. I hate when I'm like that. I, I'm like that. I hate when that's the way. But when it's not that way, when I wake up in the morning, I'm hungry to pray and I'm, I'm passionate to seek God. You know what I say? I don't say, Brian, you're doing really good. I just say, thank you for your grace because there's so many mornings I wake up not even wanting to live. <laughs> 
times I wake up and I'm just like, oh, Lord, come quickly or let me get hit by a Mack truck. Either one's fine. But when I do have that passion to seek the Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm more than a conqueror because he loves us. Does God love you? Is his love ever going to fail? His love will never fail. For I'm persuaded neither death nor life. Life is going to keep you from getting to heaven. Life is not against you. God's promises will get you through this entire life. Read Psalm 23, right? He'll restore your soul. He'll lead you in the path of righteousness. He'll be with you through the valleys of the shadows of death we go through. Death or life is not going to help or hinder us. Angels, principalities, or powers, or things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. What did David say? If I go into hell, <laughs> you're there because I'm there. You're going to be there with me. If I go into the heavens, you're there because you never leave me. You got me in my hand and you, 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 I, I'm in your hand and you never let me go. Height or depth, created things shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews 12 too. So we need to look unto Jesus who's the author and what? Finisher of our faith. It's Christ that's going to get you standing before the Father and he is going to be standing next to you with a giant smile on his face, with his arm around you. And the father says, why should I let you into the kingdom? And you just smile and say, because this guy right here, your son, I trust in his finished work. He's the one that showed me my sinful condition. He's the one that had sent somebody to hear the gospel. Even though I was the most rebellious, evil person, my heart believed. And now I've stumbled and struggled and failed. And no matter what I've been through, he never let me go. And I'm here right now because he has brought me here to this door of heaven. And the Father says, enter in and have the joy of my kingdom. The second part to Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has what? Perfected forever. We saw this a minute ago. Those who are being sanctified. So on the cross, Christ didn't just take care of justification, but on the cross, he also took care of sanctification. Do we get this? Your sanctified past tense because Christ, just like he took care of the penalty of your sin, Christ on the cross also is giving you the power to overcome this world and all of its struggles and your flesh. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. Listen to now the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24. Now may the God of peace, what? himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is what? Faithful. Who will also what? Do it. God, it's emphatic there in verse 23. May the God of peace himself. It's actually may God by himself alone with nobody else active in this process. Sanctify you completely, entirely, to maturity, to perfection. It's the same word. 
So the word of salvation in the third sense is glorification. This is where we have no longer the presence of sin ever again. You guys know 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What is inheritance is he talking about? Verse five, who is kept by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it until when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Do, do you understand? If you are justified, you are already glorified. Because he started it, he's going to be doing it. We're going to be in heaven and going, it was a miracle. It was a complete, I was such a hard heart. I was so fleshly. I was so weak. I was so sinful. I was so in love with my fleshly ways. And God, every step of the way, kept helping me overcome it. And now I'm standing before the Father as righteous as Jesus is righteous. And I honestly don't know how I got through those years I was on earth. Because it was rough. But every time I turned, his mercies were new every morning. Every time I thought, this is it. I'm addicted. I'm stuck. I've just blown up my marriage. I just exploded my life. I come to God and say, God, forgive me. And I find his mercy and grace sufficient to help me in my time of need. So these three types of salvation are all a gift of God's grace and mercy. I look at Titus 2. He, he mentions all three. In Titus 2, verse 11 he first mentions justification. For by grace you, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Then he talks about salvation in context to just sanctification. Teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lust should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age. How do we get there? The same grace that saved us is the same grace that's going to teach us and is going to get us there to live, to hate the fleshliness, and to love the righteousness in this present age. And then he talks about salvation and glorification. In Titus 2.12, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is. At the coming of Christ, the glorification. Paul talks about this glorification specifically in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he actually talks about the helmet, but he doesn't just say salvation. This time he says the hope. When we talk about hope, it's not our English word hope. Our English word hope is different than this Greek word hope. 
The Greek word hope is we have the certainty it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. So he says there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, love, and the helmet of what? The hope of salvation. Now, this verse 8 is in context of the rapture of the church. Guess, guess what Satan's going to be doing in the last days to the church? Headshots. That's it. If he can get you discouraged about being righteous, if he can get you discouraged about your flesh, if he can get you disheartened and, get, and, and lose that confidence, he can really cause damage in the church. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 through 11. But according But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let him who sleep... Do not, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as what? The helmet, the hope of salvation, the certainty of this third part of salvation, the glorification of Christ. If you keep your eye on the target, right? The, the pilot going to Hawaii, we need to keep our instruments hitting that little dot out there, the glorification. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 again, for God did not appoint us to wrath. That's what the tribulation period is called, the seven-year tribulation period of wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, edify one another, just as you also are doing. Lift up the the hanging, depressed, discouraged hands, the feeble knees going, man, I'm such a loser, and I'm so fleshly, and and man, the system of this world just getting me down. No, get your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That hope The hope he is talking about is the sure hope of the coming of Jesus in order to complete our salvation. So put on that helmet and and the joy and the confidence, the faith, the certainty that we will soon be with the Lord. So in conclusion, Satan is going to give the headshots of attack, first trying to get you to question whether the penalty and the guilt of your sin has really been taken care of on the cross. Again, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation, guys. John 5.24 is so clear. If you have faith in God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, you shall not come into judgment, but you have passed from death to life. The second thing is to understand through grace, we are always going to be free from sin's dominion over us. Listen to Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not be your master, or sin shall not have dominion over you, because you're not under the law, but you're under what? Under grace. 
You need to encourage everybody daily on that. We're under grace. We're under grace. We're under grace. We, Satan's going to pound on us about the assurance of God's continued work in us and then it remain with us. Hebrews 13, 5. God, I want you to focus on the word never here. God has said, never will I, what? Leave you. Never will I, what? Satan wants you to believe that. Oh, yeah, you were fleshly last year and God hung with you, but not this year. No, 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 no. You took it to a whole nother level. Let me tell you, he has forsaken you. He has left you. You left him, he left you. And his story lies from the pit of hell. We will one day be completely conformed into the image of Christ. Satan is, no, not you. You're, you're a special case of sinfulness. You're a special case of weakness. John writes, little children, I don't know what we're going to be like, but when we see him, when he appears, we're going to see him. And when he appears, not only are you going to see him, but you are going to be what? Like him. And it goes on to say, it's not here, but if we meditate on these things, it'll purify us. Heaven is our future home. Satan wants you to think you're not going to make it. Somehow you're going to be in the 10% that doesn't make it. Guys, that's a lie. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus, the Son. In the Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have not have told you. I wouldn't have given you that expectation and then ripped out the rug from underneath you. No, I go to prepare a place for you. This is a fact. Satan's going to lie to you. Satan's going to tell you that's a bunch of junk. There is no heaven. There is no hell. You die, you're, that's, don't listen to this world system or the devil's lies. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Concluding thought in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from every evil one. Lord, we want to hand that helmet of salvation very securely, very tightly. We know Satan is trying to knock that off of us, especially the new Christians, the weak Christians, or the Christians that don't have a clear doctrine of salvation. They've been told that they have to persist in order for salvation to be complete, or, or they could lose it and they have to get it again for a second, third, fourth, fifth time. But Lord, we ask that as we here know the true doctrine of salvation, that we would not be duped by the devil anymore, that we wouldn't be weakened by his fiery darts anymore, that we, we wouldn't stumble around in doubt anymore, but we would be a strong soldier and the head blows don't move us because your salvation is tightly secured around our head protecting us from the death blow of the enemy. I'm just really sensing right now that the Lord has given you this word today to share with somebody outside the church this week. 
that there's a Christian you know that doesn't understand this. And that you need to sort of re-preach this sermon, if you would. Share these verses. Take them through it. So they don't start wondering, start limping, start crawling. Lord, we ask now this word we go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.